the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre recorded. Good for the New York Rangers. Okay, maybe not the organization, but the players. Uh, Friday night was Pride Night at Madison Square Garden. And the players were supposed to wear rainbow jerseys, have rainbow tape on their sticks for their warm-ups. But as it turned out, the players decided not to wear the jerseys or tape their sticks. And the PR hit was not good for the Rangers, of course. Maybe because of what happened after Ivan Provorov decided not to wear the jersey for the Flyers' pride night a week or so ago. Rangers players decided that they would support him after he took so much criticism from the left wing of the uh, well, the mostly left-wing North American sports media. The Rangers had promised that there would be an auction of the shirts and the sticks with the money going to charity. It's probably safe to assume that there were some gay fans who were looking forward to seeing the players in the rainbow jerseys. So that's bad business by the Rangers, who've had had, uh, pride nights, by the way, for the last seven years. But maybe the players' decision is better for everybody. Maybe they sent the message that teams should stay out of politics, especially the team that they're playing for, the Rangers. You know, stay out of virtue signaling. And most importantly, not think that they, meaning the, you know, the organizations like the Rangers or any other team, not think that they can use the players to signal their virtue anymore. Cut it out. Now, you can say what you want about the, the players not wanting to wear the rainbow colors, call them homophobes, usual stuff. They are there to play hockey, not to show their support for any political or cultural agenda. And maybe their refusal to be used by the organization will be the first step toward putting an end to the forced virtue signaling in every sport. Wouldn't that be nice? And it might even be good for the LGBT community because most people who aren't gay don't care if you're gay. They just don't. And most people who aren't gay don't hate you if you're gay. They just don't. Most people who aren't gay are probably getting tired of hearing about you being gay. And maybe it's reached the point that if you are gay, you know, you might want to think about giving the message sending a rest. Just show up for the hockey game. Cheer like everybody else. Anyway, when we come back, an expert on police brutality and criminal justice is going to be here to talk about what happened in Memphis. And in our second half hour, an expert on the Second Amendment and the history of guns in America to talk about the reaction to the most recent mass shootings out there in California. Stick around. Hey, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry? Well, that's why my pillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you? Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now, you can get a six-piece set for only $49.99 with promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com right now, click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, and they have their 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set off MyPillow Towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special, and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. That's 800-716-8087 or just go to MyPillow.com, promo code STAG. My son Finn was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open-heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. 
Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. Dennis Prager here. Sue and I mean it. Dogs are part of our family. We love Otto and Snoopy so much, there's nothing quite like their loyal companionship. So we provide them with rough greens. In fact, I just talked to my wife about it because we want them to be healthy and we want them to be with us as long as possible. That's true. I know Sebastian Gorka feels the same way. The Pragers and I couldn't agree more. Our pups, Killian and Leia, rely on us to provide what's best for them. A naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black has packed rough greens full of vitamins minerals, digestive enzymes, omega oils, and more that supplement their food in a way that has shown us great results. Trying out Rough Greens is an easy yes, recommended by me, Dr. G. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black here, and I'm so proud that the Pragers and Sebastian Gorka have entrusted their dog's health to Rough Greens. I'm so confident that Rough Greens can help your dog, I'm offering you a free Jumpstart trial bag. Just cover the shipping. Yes, your dog's food is dead food, but you can bring it back to life with Rough Greens. Go to RUFFGreens.com. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Well, now that a sixth cop has been penalized for what happened to uh, in Memphis to Tyree Nichols, police brutality, uh, police reform, is of course in the news again big time. There doesn't seem to be a second side of this story. Rafael Mangual is head of uh, research for the Policing and Public Safety Initiative at the Manhattan Institute, and he's also a contributing editor at City Journal, and he's uh, the author of a book, Criminal Justice, and uh, that was released last, uh, in July of this year, last year now, I guess. He joins us now. Rafael, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So um, this is your area of expertise, and uh, you've looked into lots of cases of police brutality over the last few years. Uh, what do you make of this one? I mean, it's pretty bad. Uh, I got to say, I watched that video, um, and I did not see uh, policing that was in line with any kind of training regime, any kind of you know uh, sort of uh, uh, predominant tactical. Uh, decisions that you know that, that we as, as typical in policing departments. I mean, th- this was just outright violence. I mean, it, you know, I didn't see anything in that video that was defensible. And I think that you know the the broad response from the policing community, you know, seems to back that up. I mean, you have police executives from across the country, police unions, including the president of the FOP basically coming out and, and condemning the conduct depicted in that video, um, you know, with, with a universal uh, a tone of denunciation. And I, I think that's a good thing because what that tells us is that, you know, what we saw in that video is tragic and, and, and disgraceful as it was, is not representative of policing writ large. And um, so and you, you write in your piece that you think this was about revenge. Why do you, why did you come up with that conclusion? Yeah, I mean, you know, you watch these videos and, you know, you see a couple of things. I mean, in the initial struggle with with Tyree Nichols, um, OC spray, pepper spray was deployed by one of the officers. And, you know, it seems very clear that that pepper spray got in that same officer's eyes as well as in the eyes of another officer who had his glasses knocked off during that initial struggle. Both of them were very, very upset. They were talking about having sprayed themselves and having lost their glasses um, and we're expressing anger about that. And one of the, those two officers, the one who, who sprayed himself, seems to have left the scene and caught up with the, the officers that um, uh, eventually caught up with Nichols after a foot pursuit and, and joined in on the violence there. Um, you know, so, yeah, what, what I was seeing was basically, you know, officers that at least two officers who seemed to get hit with their own pepper spray. Uh, one officer who seemed to have his leg hurt during the melee at some point, essentially exacting revenge for having been given a hard time. And it was uh, it was hard to watch, i got to say. I think you could make a case, tell me if I'm wrong, that that video is more disturbing than the George Floyd video uh, in the sense that it's just straight-out violence with no excuses. You could make maybe some excuses for Derek Chauvin, you know what I mean? And there's 
you know, that he didn't mean to do it. Uh, he's, it was a stupid thing to do, but he wasn't trying to kill him. You see these guys standing there and, and throwing roundhouse punches at a guy as he's being held up and then kicking him in the head. That's just, yeah. um, you, 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 just don't, no, but, you don't see that very often, do you? You don't. You don't. And that's the thing that we have to be important to, that, that's really important for us to remember as we have this kind of, you know, national conversation that we have after every one of these viral incidents. This is not typical of policing. I mean, you know, at one point, Mr. Nichols seems to be held up uh, by each arm while another officer is punching him in the face and nobody's trying to put him in. Um, and, you know, it's, so, so yeah, I, I, again, what we saw is not typical of policing. We have to keep that in mind. You know, what I caution against in the piece is that we don't make the same mistakes that we made in 2020 in the wake of George Floyd's murder, and that is to make rash policy decisions that ultimately are going to have unintended consequences for crime. You know, lots of cities, Minneapolis included, around the country saw massive spikes in their uh, violent crime numbers in 2020 and 2021, a lot of those cities also saw spikes in, in broader crime categories in 2022. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that increase has followed a you know really sharp leftward turn on the criminal justice and policing policy front. And, you know, the New York Times reported in April of 2021 that in the year after George Floyd's murder, not even a year, um, more than uh, 30 states had passed 140 police reform measures. You know, you had even cities like like Memphis adopt all kinds of reform measures at the department level, at the city level. You had, you know, a, a big uh, sort of crisis of, of police recruitment and retention that followed that. I think that has certainly impacted the public safety picture on the ground. You know, and, and again, a lot of these arguments were made through the lens of racial justice. But, you know, remember that that 2020 homicide spike disproportionately harmed black communities. Um, and, and so, you know, what we can't do, what we really shouldn't do this time around is lose sight of what we lost sight of in 2020 and repeat those mistakes and exacerbate the problems that haven't yet uh, gotten better. Yeah, um, and uh, getting back to the incident itself uh, with, with Nichols, um, I, uh, you, it's almost like they, they, they forgot that they have body cams. How, how could you possibly be either so uh, ill-trained or so stupid to think that you're going to get away with that? Yeah, I'm not really sure what was, if anything, was going through their heads. I mean, you know, again, I would not be surprised if this was just a function of blind rage. Um, you know, and as they were coming down from that high, you can kind of hear attempts to rationalize, um, you know, after things, uh, you know, had, had, had sort of, uh, uh, calm down and, and, and Nichols was, you know, left alone. Um, but yeah, I suspect that what we saw was just uncontrolled rage and that's a real problem. And, you know, again, but, you know, besides the fact that this isn't typical of policing, one other thing that we can take solace in is the knowledge that the system is working. The system of accountability is working. These men were investigated, fired, uh, prosecuted and arrested and are now in custody or at least some of them, I think, have made bail. Um, you know, but but the system is going to make them answer for this. And in the meantime, I think the community is now going to be safer for the fact that they're no longer patrolling the streets. And that's never something that you want to be able to say. But when you have bad people find their way onto police forces, it is good. Um, you know, when they're sussed out and and taken off the job when they misbehave. We're talking to Rafael Manguel. He's uh, the author of Criminal Injustice, a book released in July, and he's also a contributing editor at City Journal. You can find his piece at uh, city-journal.org about this. Um, so uh, as unjustified as their reactions may have been, is there any thirst for revenge there if there, has, you know, if there had been no resistance by Nichols? Maybe, maybe not. But as a cop, you have to, you know, you have to be bigger than that. Right, right. And that's the that's the bottom line. At the end of the day, you know, as angry as you might have been that he got away from you and, and after the initial contact, as mad as you might be that you hit yourself with your own OC spray, once he's caught up with and he submits to arrest, that's it. That's where it has to end, right? Police officers are given an incredible amount of responsibility and power. Um, and so they have to exercise that power in light of, you know, um, the, the need to maintain the public's trust. And you simply cannot 
allow any room for what we saw in that video. Yeah, and I know you, you can't get into their heads, but um, uh, it's uh, you. You wonder also how much of this is just um, a lack of training, and uh, uh, maybe they weren't ready to be out there on the street. Has anybody looked into their training, and and how how long were these guys on the force, and whether they even belonged yeah, I mean, in that in that situation? My understanding is that these were all relatively junior officers. You know, I don't think any of them had been on for more than five years. Um, interestingly, there's not seemed to have been a supervisor riding with them. Um, so I think it is somewhat atypical to see um, officers with that little experience in, uh, you know, what would generally be understood to be an elite proactive unit. Um, and so that's certainly something to look into. But I suspect that, you know, Memphis isn't alone in just having to deal with, uh, you know, serious recruitment and retention problems. And, you know, as you have to expand, um, you know, the size of your force without any real demand for that kind of job, ultimately, you know, what you may see is, is standards get lowered and people be advanced more quickly than they perhaps should. But I suspect that this is less of a training issue at the end of the day, and more of just an issue with the quality of who these officers were as people. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, um, she said this was an example of what the system of policing produces. Uh, She's calling for changes. Uh, There are lots of changes, though, that you just talked about, and they don't seem to have been necessarily for the good. Yeah, I mean, look, Memphis was Memphis Police Department was already aligned with the so-called eight campaign reforms. These were um, reforms that have been put forward um, in the wake of George Floyd's death. You know, they are, I believe, a majority-minority department, or at least close to it. So, you know, the whole policing representation matters issue, you know, was was being covered. There was a big push uh, on that in Memphis. I mean, you know, uh, again, at the end of the day, policing is a human endeavor. That means that it's subject to all of humanity's flaws, including malevolence. And every once in a while, you're going to have terrible cops um, do something awful while in uniform. And you know, the thing to remember is that Ocasio-Cortez is wrong about, you know, this being part and parcel of the system. These guys departed from everything that police officers in the United States are taught to do. These guys broke every rule that was in place. They departed from uh, their training. You know, this was not a policing problem. This was a bad person problem. And those people happened to be cops in this instance. Um, and so it is proper for us to separate them from the institution. Um, you know, but, but again, not every institution is imperfect in their own way, right? Teachers do awful things. Mailmen do awful things. Truck drivers do awful things. Um, you know, that's, that's just the reality of human life. Of course, it's, it's hyper salient when that, when that individual is a cop because, uh, you know, they have an incredible amount of power. Uh, and responsibility to the public that's that's relatively unique. But, you know, we're never going to have, you know, a completely problem-free uh, uh, department in any part of the country. What you can do, though, is minimize those problems through training, through the quality of the officers that you have. And one thing that we should remember, again, is that what we saw in that video is very, very rare. It is a statistical anomaly. It's a statistical anomaly in Memphis. It's a statistical anomaly in the country writ large. Police officers almost never use force. When they do use force, they're very restrained. It almost never results in injury. I think the Memphis Police Department uh, has been involved in 25 suspect deaths since 2013 or between 2013 and 21. That's the time in which they made almost 300,000 arrests. Um, So we're looking at a very, very, very small percentage of enforcement actions involving this kind of deadly force. And, of course, the vast majority of those uh, instances are justified. Um, And so, again, you know, this was a failure. It's a failure that's being answered for. The accountability system is working. But, you know, we have to remember that it is not part and parcel of policing writ large. Yeah, you you mentioned your piece, 288,000 arrests by the Memphis Police Department. and that is, it's a minuscule uh, um, um, number of incidents like this. But I guess the difference, um, Raphael, is that two things. You, they now have body cams. In the case of uh, George Floyd, several people were standing around uh, taking videos of this with their cell phone. And then you have all these platforms and different networks and white websites where this video can be shown over and over again. 
and uh, and even though you you point out and it's pointed out all the time what how rare this is, do you think that somebody like Tyree Nichols should be expected to know how rare it is and how much of the um, the, uh, the 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 feeling that these guys have to escape and resist is a result of not knowing that number, that two hundred eighty-eight thousand, and thinking it's much, much more, and much, much more common than it actually is. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure that there's any evidence that you know the reaction to Tyree Nichols was a function of you know some misapprehensions on his part about what policing is and isn't like. I think it was really more a function of just the level of aggression that these officers showed at the outset. Um, and I think that that level of aggression induced, you know, a great deal of fear that, you know, it can lead anyone to do, you know, things like um, sort of resort to their fight or flight instincts. And in yeah. his case, it was a flight instinct. You know, I mean, you have, you know, again, we, we don't have a lot of information about the reason for the stop, whether the stop was legal, whether some of the things that we heard the officer saying about being led on a chase are accurate. You know, but if you're, in your head sort of going about your day just you know driving at night and you're not breaking any laws and all of a sudden you're surrounded by unmarked police cars police officers in you know street clothes with their guns drawn screaming at you throwing you on the floor um it's you know it's it's not clear to me that that was the best way to sort of start that out i don't hear anyone asking for his license for his registration again there may be good reason for that that, that that'll come out but I suspect that the reaction of Tyree Nichols had almost everything to do with, with the level of aggression that those police officers were showing at the outset of that contact. Um, but, but I do think it's a problem, you know, that there does seem to be a disconnect in the public mind about how often this sort of thing occurs. And you, know, you sort of hit on a couple of really interesting things that might be driving that. And that's, you know, sort of our social media environment coupled with the fact that everyone's got a cell phone camera. And almost anyone can, you know, file a FOIL request for mm-hmm. body cam footage, which is pretty regularly released now. And so, you know, in a country of 330 million people where you have, you know, 680,000 police officers making 10 million arrests a year, you know, having 75 plus million public contacts a year, it becomes really easy to produce one outrageous video for every single day of the year, which can create the impression especially if those videos can be easily distributed via social media, that this is a common occurrence. Of course, statistically, that's not how it works. You have to view these things within the broader context of the overall volume of police activity. And when you have, you know, 680,000 cops making 10 million arrests, a thousand deaths, almost all of which are justified and, and involved armed resisting suspects, um, I mean, begins to, to look like a, a much smaller uh, problem to the extent that it is one. Yeah, I guess I would compare it to, um, you know, you, you you see a story about a kid who's abducted, and it's on the air every day for two weeks until they find what happened to the kid. And that, and that everyone, you know, you get a few of those stories a year, and now people think that some people won't let their kids go out to the mailbox to get the mail because right. they think they're going to be That's kidnapped. Right. And it's just, it's it's all, it's all overblown. Oh, overblown. I got about 30 seconds left. Um, the ra- different racial component to this one, what do you make of all that, and how's that going to play out? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm already seeing some people sort of make the case that even though the officers were black, that this is still somehow a function of white supremacy. Right. Um, and I just think that's uh, the nature of our of where we are in our public debate about this. You know, the, the racial lens is a is a powerful way to sort of present your case if you are a police critic. But um, I suspect that it's not going to have the same impact that it did uh, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, for example. Even though there really wasn't any indication that that was motivated by race. Right. Right. Okay. Hey, Raphael, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you coming on. Always good work that you do on this, and you shine a light on Thank it. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's Rafael Manguel. He's with the City Journal, and his book is Criminal Injustice. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Senator John Cornyn of Texas is blasting President Biden's no-compromise stamps on debt limit talks, noting the U.S. was forced to spend trillions during the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, the Biden administration simply can't kick the habit and spend another $3 trillion in purely party-line votes in the last two years. And so the president needs to uh, step up to the negotiating table. 
Senator Cornyn interviewed by the Salem Radio Network. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will meet with President Biden at the White House this week. Topping the agenda is lifting the debt ceiling. Bobby Hull, a Hall of Fame winger and two-time NHL MVP, who helped the Chicago Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup in 1961, has died. He was 84. The Dow is down 226 points, the S&P off 48. This is SRN News. We're entering a time of increasing hostility against people of faith. A time when Christians are going to be tested on a moral and physical and financial basis, unlike any other time in our lifetime. I'm Lance Wallnow, Christian author, evangelical leader, here to remind you that you have to take action to protect and steward what God has given you. For example, record high inflation is going to continue to eat away at the dollar, and the savings of your retirement account is in danger. Fortunately, God does provide a way. To protect your retirement, I recommend diversifying your 401k or IRA out of paper and into physical gold. And the best way to do that is with a gold IRA from Birch Gold Group. Now, to see how it works, just text the word FAITH to 989898. That'll give you access to a free info kit on gold IRAs. There are no strings attached, so text FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to 989898 right now, and I pray your family is blessed with peace of mind because you took action. Jay Sekulow says good riddance. Some of you were concerned about Kevin McCarthy and whether he's going to be tough enough. Tough enough, he threw off the Intel Committee, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff. They were ranked, they were the, he was leading the Intel Committee, Adam Schiff. And he did it in part because of the situation. Eric Swalwell had the Chinese national spy get in there into his office. Adam Schiff was the one who said he had all this evidence of Russian collusion with Trump, and of course, nothing. Secular. Weeknights at 6, right before Brandon Tatum at 7, on AM 1250. The answer. Hey, John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Master's technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter code SLEEK at checkout. That's harrys.com, code SLEEK. Enjoy. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. AM 1250. The Answer. Weather. We'll see a little snow at times tonight, accumulating a coating to an inch. Expect a nighttime low of 20. Mostly cloudy skies tomorrow. Tomorrow's high, 28. Clouds breaking tomorrow night will reach a low of 17. Partly sunny skies Wednesday. We'll see a high Wednesday of 29. Thursday, times of clouds and sun. Expect a high Thursday of 38. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Well, the Tyree Nichols story uh, made the two mass shootings in California disappear pretty quickly. But the governor of California and the president had time to make idiots of themselves, as you can expect uh, from them and most liberals to do after a mass shooting. David Harsani is a senior editor at The Federalist. He's also the author of First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. And he joins us now. David, good to have you on. It's been a while. Thanks for coming on. Anytime. Thanks for having me. So Governor Newsom, who will soon be running for president, obviously, uh, said the Second Amendment is on its way to becoming a suicide pact. Uh, does he at least get some credit for originality on that one? <laughs> well, I actually wish that uh, more 
uh, people on the left would just be honest about how they feel about the Second Amendment itself and uh, try to overturn it. I mean, that's the only way most of the things that they want to pass, you know, would hold up you know, in a Supreme Court that cared about the Constitution. So at least they, they should be more honest about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It would take you a while to run down all the gun laws that already exist in California. Um, maybe you could give us a few of those and why they didn't prevent the two recent mass shootings out there that, as I said, kind of disappeared from the headlines. Well, every time, you know, there's, there were two horrific mass shootings in uh, California. And immediately, you know, everyone ran to say we need to pass more federal laws. Well, all the laws that Democrats want to pass that are on their agenda in Washington already exist in California and many more, including an assault rifle ban, including, you know, micro tracking, including red flag laws, uh, basically anything you want, you know, anything the gun, uh, you know, control agenda wants nationally, they already have in California and it didn't stop anything. These guns weren't. They weren't, uh, you know, from another state or anything like that. These were guns. One of them was an old gun that they have been made, haven't made since, I think, 1990. So, and it wasn't an assault rifle. So first, I think people need to explain why it's okay to leave, uh, to have all these laws, leave people defenseless, and still have these shootings, and yet pass these nationally. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You would think California would be the, the laboratory for these laws. So let's take a look at that. Uh, they've had the the assault ban since 1989. So how's that working out? It doesn't work out at all. It didn't work out when we had the assault ban nationally. The the trends of gun crimes mirror each other across the nation. In uh, starting in the 90s, gun crimes started to fall. They fell before we had the the ban, and for uh, you know almost 20 years after the ban <clears throat> sunset. Actually, it's not 20 years. I think it was more like 15 years. But it, the, the, you know, until very recently, gun crimes were continued to fall. AR-15s, the assault weapons that they mostly want to ban, are used in a fraction of 1% probably of murders in this country. They are, most gun crimes are, are, are you know, you know, 9 millimeters or whatever kind of handgun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that just tells me that they incrementally want to start banning guns, any ban guns they can scaremonger over like AR 15s. It really has nothing to do and has never anywhere under undermined, uh, you know, or stopped criminality. Well, of course, Joe Biden doesn't want to hear about the use of the second amendment to prevent government tyranny. And he's, he's been throwing out every one, every time something like this happens, he throws out the, the fighter jet argument. We're just going to strafe yeah. you. You know, we'll just come straight to you. It's not exactly uh, heartening to hear the president say, listen, it doesn't matter how many guns you have. If we want that tyranny, we're just going to drop cluster bombs on you and kill you all. Like, it seems uh, counterproductive for his own argument. Uh, Obviously, you know, we're not going to have a rebellion or anything right now, but he doesn't understand the Second Amendment or doesn't believe in the Second Amendment. It's probably more like it. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, David, is that he says something like that, and about half of the people in the country nod their heads in agreement. That's right, yeah, who do they think they are? They can't stand up to the government with AR-15s. You wrote a book on uh, Europe called Eurotrash. Um, I don't know, if I, I think you wrote it before Ukraine became a big story, but um, how, would, how much tougher would it be for the Russians if, I don't know, five million guys in uh, Ukraine owned their own AR-15s? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but initially when that war started, they started giving guns to civilians all over Ukraine to fight against right, Russians. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because listen, anyone who knows anything about history and understands that small arms uh, can, you know, people with small arms can do a lot of damage. I mean, think about even Vietnam to some extent, or Afghanistan, um, or just think about like the Palestinians right now, you know, or whatever. I mean, uh, sometimes it's used for good, sometimes it's used for bad, but people with, who are armed are much more difficult to, uh, to control or to, uh, you know, to, you know, to, to erect some kind of tyranny against them. And I'm not saying that's right coming right here, but that is the reason people have guns. And it's the reason we have to have them just in case. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, Joe Biden talked about the, uh, the, um, the assault weapon ban. I think he's, pretty sure that's another one of his lies that he takes credit for. I'm, I'm not sure if he, how much he had to do with it, but he does like to brag about it, and that homicides went down. So th- this is also a lie that people are just 
inclined to believe. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. We got rid of those. First of all, they established that this is a gun that's killing a lot of people when it's not. And then they say the, the, uh, the, the number of murders went down and they didn't. Yeah, actually what he says is it's a little trick. I mean, what he says is mass murders, mass ah, shootings okay. went down. But the problem with that is I'm not sure that that's true either. There's the, the measurement of mass mur- You know, it's an arbitrary measurement, in, right. basically. And the measurement has changed over time. Now it's, I think, four people who are hurt by a sh- in a shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're very different kind of shootings. We should be separating them. We should be separating them into sort of these psycho shootings that happen in schools and elsewhere where people are mentally right. deranged. And criminality, which is a little bit different, which happens. I'm not saying either one's okay. I'm just saying they're very different in why they happen and how we have to tackle those problems. Um, first thing we should do is actually ho- uphold laws that already exist, for instance, rather than just making new ones that don't do anything but target innocent people. Yeah, if, uh, so if, if a, a gang has a shootout on a Chicago street and three people are shot, one of them is killed in the, in the exchange, that's a mass shooting, right? Right. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. They also, con- they also conflate, and, and again, neither this is a problem. I'm not saying it's not, but they conflate criminal gun crime with suicide. That's oh. how they get the really big number. Now, I'm not saying, like, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that uh, it, we shouldn't talk about suicide, but it, it's a very b- different problem than gun crime, in my opinion, and should be t- dealt with separately. One's a mental health problem and the other is a criminal problem. But they like to conflate those things to, to bump up the numbers. Is there any such thing as an assault weapon out there? That's that's actually um, that's the that not not uh, uh, a uh, a term used by the media or by politicians, but someone who actually knows something about guns. Not really. A assault weapon could be anything. It's just an arbitrary thing that has a lot to do with the aesthetics of the gun, not anything the gun does. There are assault rifles which are fully automatic or have you know, can spray three or four uh, rounds at a time, yeah. which are used by military people that uh, mil- military people do not use AR-15s, which, you know, shoot once with every trigger pull. Mm-hmm. They use different sorts of guns. So it's really just a made up arbitrary uh, designation assault weapon. It does all the weapons kill. That's why they exist. It's a tool to right. defend yourself. And yeah, they're all assault weapons. There's no gun that doesn't assault someone if you shoot at them. What is the level of ownership of AR-15s now in the United States? Well, we don't keep records, so it's difficult to tell, but it's yeah. high. I mean, you have like, it basically gun ownership has remained at around 40% of households, not each person in the United States. Obviously, in some states like West Virginia, it's incredibly high, like 70%. In other states, it's lower. So it's hard to tell, but many. I mean, you sell tens of millions of those guns, and there are a lot of AR-15s out there. <laughs> I know a guy who just moved to West Virginia about a year ago, and he's got a bunch of AR-15s, and he, <laughs> he took them with him when he left, and he's got them. And I don't think anybody yeah. cares. You know, he lives up in the mountains down there. He's not bothering anybody. No. Pennsylvania has a lot of gun, higher gun ownership, and, you know, southern states obviously have higher gun ownership, but a lot of that has to do with the laws in place, you know. In Maryland, for instance, it's, there's basically no Second Amendment. It's very difficult to get a handgun and or an AR-15. Now, what about uh, passing a law to ban, and I think Biden has mentioned this, you mentioned it in your piece, and we're talking to David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist. I saw your piece at uh, PJ Media. I should give them credit. Um, but um, the, the, uh, the uh, idea that they would pass a law to ban anyone under 21 from buying an assault weapon again. I guess that means an AR-15. Well, think about this. We had these two horrific shootings. One, one was a, a 75-year-old man, and one was, a, I think, or maybe 72, and one was a 67-year-old man. And Joe Biden comes out the next day and says we have to hire, put a higher level on the age of being able to buy an AR-15. It has nothing to do with the shooting. It just shows how cynical their yeah. efforts are. Um, listen, my position is that if you're 18 and you can vote, you should be able to own a gun. One, con- you know, if you have the constitutional right to vote and make decisions for the country, you should be able to defend your family, your property, and your country. It's that simple. Now, here's the thing that I still, I, 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 I just don't see any change in this. When 
when a, a shooting occurs, and I'm not talking about necessarily the mass shooting out in California, but you know, here in Pittsburgh, we'll have a, a story of uh, it might qualify as a mass shooting because a couple of kids shoot each other. Uh, it might be gang related, and they'll talk about everything except where they got the guns. They will talk about um, you know that this is the X number of uh, murders we've had this year, or you know all the other statistics. And they'll talk about in detail what happened and who was killed and and where they lived and what the what the possible jail term they're facing when it gets to that point. I'm telling you, I almost never hear it even mentioned that. Well, you know, they've dis- they've they've discovered that these two 19 year old guys they got their guns blank. Nobody ever says it. You never hear it where they came from. To me, that's. Every bit as important as who was shot and who died. Yeah, I mean, I think when uh, there there is some common ground. I mean, it's never going to happen because everyone's got their political positions. The common ground, in my view, is figuring out how to uphold, to to hold up the laws that already exist, for in, or, or even even making them a little stricter. For instance, if you leave your gun in in your car in Florida, right in your uh, uh, you know, just on your seat, and someone steals it, and then ends up somewhere in, in you know in in Pennsylvania, be Pittsburgh, being used in a crime. You have to have something. I'm not saying it's a murder charge or anything, yeah. but you're supposed to take care of your weapon. Lots of weapons are stolen and and then sold elsewhere for criminal you know activity, like stuff like that. I mean, you know, a lot of times we have background checks, and the FBI or the local cops don't do their job right, and people who shouldn't have guns end up with guns. We have to we have to make sure that it's, there is better you know a better system in place in that sense, and uh, I think that that would be some common ground for people. Well, I guess I get the feeling, uh, David, that the the guns are being sold kind of the same way that and 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 exchanged kind of the same way that drugs are. That there's somebody out there making lots of money stealing guns and then selling them. Yeah, and, and, but, but I but I never hear about it. I, I never hear of anybody being arrested and, and said, well, he's he just got sentenced to 12 years in prison for illegally selling guns to minors. I never hear about it. I know it has to but be gun, going on. Gun controllers make it sound like you go to a state like West Virginia, you buy a gun, and then you just hand it to some criminal in, in Pittsburgh or wherever, and they're going to commit the crime. No, that does it doesn't work like that. If you buy a gun, you have a background check. If you have no criminal record, you don't sell that gun. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are like there are too many guns to track. We don't even know how many guns are out there. So, you know, trying to uh, stop people from having them completely is is first of all, it's it's a liberal and it shouldn't be done. But also, it can't be done. So that's why, you know, again, I think just focusing on where the guns come from, who is do you know is 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 everyone following the law in that you know you know before the criminal gets his hands on the gun and all that stuff is quite important. Now, I saw. Quite a bit, quite a few tweets after the two California shootings from the usual people, showing the statistics for the number of, uh, I don't know if it's mass shootings or just uh, homicide by 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 a gun in Europe, Australia, and it says the difference between the United States and these countries very simple: guns. How do you respond to that? It, there is no doubt that that criminals, when they get, and I, you know, we have to be honest about this. If it, you get your hand on a gun, it's easier to commit crimes. It's easier to kill someone than when you can't get your hand on a gun. But there are plenty of of places where people have fewer guns and yet have more murder, including places like Brazil or you know Central America and elsewhere. Um, but you know, I mean, this is America. We already have the guns, and we have a bigger, more bigger societal reason for having guns that I think is quite important. And uh, you know, criminality has been up. Crime has been up probably since COVID. We've seen more murders and, and more crime just in general. And that's a problem that we have to deal with. But, uh, you know, if you think you're going to be able to ban guns and take all guns off the street, it's just not going to happen. It's a, really a waste of our time to even talk about it. Well, they still continue to talk about it. There, there are people out there, serious people in power, uh, you know, politicians, uh, government officials, who still think uh, they say with a straight face we have to ban all guns, and they think it can. And by be- the way, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just very quickly, they never. You know what they never um, think about in this equation? All the crimes that are averted by guns as well. That oh, we they never mentioned that. No, no, yeah, that's that doesn't count. 
Um, so are Democrats ever going to accept the Second Amendment, what, what it says and why it's there? I don't think so, because they're going in the wrong direction. They don't even accept the First Amendment anymore, or really the fourth or fifth or tenth. So I'm not sure why the second one is going to be strengthened moving forward. I mean, there used to be plenty of Democrats who were Second Amendment fans. I mean, I lived in Colorado for many years, and many Democrats used to have guns in that state. Uh, but I feel like the, you know, the trajectory of the, of, of the Democratic Party is not headed in that direction in any way. And um, I have to ask you about your book, Eurotrash. Um, what, tell me what the book's about. Let's just start with that because it's, uh, it, it sounds like, well, some, some people might be offended by the, by the title. Well, hopefully, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, it's about, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people always compare how great it is to Europe, their healthcare system, their right. standards of living, all that stuff. So I just go through basically all the things that people say and I try to, you know, and I debunk most of them. I'm not saying that we live in a perfect society, far from it, but the idea that Europe is a better place to live or in, you know, or, or economically more sound or more fair or less racist or anything like that is just a, is just a, it's just a myth. And uh, so I go about debunking that. Now, I have to ask you, so you did a book about Europe, so I'm sure you did a lot of research on it. I'm just wondering what what's your reaction to what's happening with Ukraine, you know, based on maybe what some of your research you did for your book, if, if that if it applies at all. Well, mo- mo- mostly my book was about Western Europe and the yeah, sort of thing yeah. countries liberals like. Yeah, not, you know, yeah. but I mean, my position on that is complicated. I think obviously I think Russia was the aggressor and all that. I think much more complicated because there's a big Russian minority there and uh, than people believe. And I wish that, uh, you know, even though I think Ukraine has a, certainly has a right to defend itself, uh, I wish that we were talking a little bit about how to end this thing and de-escalate because you have one of these, one of these countries as a nuclear power, and that's pretty dangerous stuff. Yeah, well, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't pretend to be an expert on yeah. how to end a war right. know, or, right. or, or to right. know where it goes, yeah. Well, they have kind of a history of that over there, though, don't they? Fighting each other for thousands of years. They, 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 there's always somebody fighting somebody for some reason that might go back a thousand years. Yeah, I love when, when Europeans, you know, tell me how warlike we are. And I remember that my dad was alive during World War II, where about the, I don't know, what was it, 30 million people were killed overall or more? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't really lo- love the lecture. Uh, again, we're not perfect, but I think that uh, we, we, we don't, they should try to be more like us rather than the reverse. Oh, I hope, yeah. And, then, and, and, and it's interesting that those people that are trying to uh, cross our southern border they're not all from South and Central America. There are some Europeans in that mix, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my own parents came from Europe, and most of our, a lot of our parents came from yeah. Europe at one point or another, and then very few people went back in the other direction. Very few people still go the other direction, you know what I mean? So there's a reason for that. Yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, David, and uh, people can find your piece at pjmedia.com, and uh, you to do a great job on showing the statistics that put the lie to about 99% of the gun arguments out there. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, that's David Harsani, and he is from uh, The Federalist, and we'll be right back. Eric was way behind on his taxes. I owed a lot of money to the IRS, almost $15,000. I tried to make payments. The IRS wasn't satisfied with Eric's efforts, so they came after him full force. They're coming to put a lien and a hold on all my income, my home, my car. I was just overwhelmed at what to do. Then Eric called Optima Tax Relief. When Optima Tax got involved, the cars would stop, the threats would stop. It was easy like, uh... One, two, three. Optima Tax Relief is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, and their team of expert tax professionals took care of Eric's problem. I owe 15000 and now my debt is clean. I don't owe anything. Take Eric's advice. If you have a tax problem, you need to call Optima Tax now. Call Optima Tax Relief for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Losing your family's home movies and photos would be devastating. That's why Legacy Box exists. To preserve your family's recorded moments digitally, ensuring they're safe forever. Think of the time and money your family invested to capture family vacations, birthdays, even your wedding. Recording a lifetime of memories was a commitment. 
Camcorders cost thousands, and cameras required film and development. Legacy Box is the final step to preserve your family's past. Thankfully, it doesn't require another big investment. Legacy Box is safe, simple, and affordable. Over 1 million families have trusted Legacy Box to convert their analog media to digital. You owe it to your family to safeguard your memories. Become your family's hero and save them before it's too late. For a limited time, Legacy Box is offering an exclusive discount when you go to LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. So Jason Whitlock of The Blaze got trashed pretty good on Twitter and other places for what he said on Tucker Carlson. I think it was back on Thursday night. He, he blamed the Troy Nichols, um, the uh, yeah, the, the Nichols shoot uh, police issue, police incident on baby mama culture, and he really got trashed for it. So today, I, I'm not surprised that he came out. I mean, when I say he got trashed, he got blistered, and he came right out today and said, "Yep." That's what I said, and he reiterated. He said, in fact, had I dishonestly uh, blamed systemic institutionalized racism for Nichols' death, I would be the toast of Twitter, drowning in retweets, likes, and applause. I would be high as a kite on dopamine and swimming in interview requests. But that's not what I did when I appeared on Tucker Carlson's uh, show Friday night. I didn't lie. I didn't concoct some fantasy narrative where five blacks co- black cops shouted, this is MAGA country, before attacking Tyree Nichols. I blamed the five cops and their criminal behavior and predicted that a predominantly black jury will find them guilty of second-degree murder. And then he says... When given an opportunity to provide an additional thought, I argued that the five police officers mimicked gang behavior and that the whole sad event is a byproduct of communities overrun with matriarchal values and controlled by single black mothers. I said that the conversation we should be having in reaction to Tyree Nichols centers on the cost of destroying the black family. He goes on and on and really just makes some great points. You can find that at theblaze.com, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. John Steckerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.